What's up, guys? Another week and another episode of the Dry Heat Podcast with your hosts, Houston Hans. As always, brought to you by our unofficial official sponsor, Canadian Mist. And uh, this week's new sponsor after that Suns game, a carton of natural American spirit blue pack. Just it hits good. So try it out if you need it. Calms the nerves. Maybe puts you in a little bit of better mood. Take some of the pain away for sure. It, it kind of does, honestly. Plus, you know, American Spirit's all natural, so you have to worry a little bit less about the chemicals. You know, they're not quite cowboy killers, but, you know, obviously smoking is never good for your health. But sometimes it's good for your mentals. So, got to rank them. Got to weigh your options there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Keith, how are we feeling today? Oh, man, dude. Well, like I said, I mean, this week's sponsor is, uh, you know, a carton of cigarettes. And I'm about – I took a couple pulls of mist after work. I'm on my fourth yingling. I was at the beach trying to tan my life away, you know, hoping to figure forget about today. But then I was like, you know what, dude? Fuck that, dude. Fuck the Lakers, dude. Fuck the NBA, dude. So I'm fucking jacked. I'm ready to bring it, dude. I love that energy from you. I can already tell that it's going to be a, a great pod where we get to dive into uh, that whole whole breakdown. But uh, we the also only thing got... I'm missing is I couldn't find a snow hookup for right now. Otherwise, I would be literally jumping for joy. You'd be invincible at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. If, I don't know if the pod could handle you at that point. That'd be. That'd be a lot. Dude, it's been a while, too, so it would be a lot. It would be full force. It would be like 99% effective. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we got some uh, great questions input to us by our steady stallion, Andrew McCain. He's always there, always what thinking about it. Uh, and so I think we start the way we've been starting recently and just get into it with some, some mail time from the boys. What do you think? I, I think that's a great idea, Alec. I mean, I just want to shout out again, everybody tossing in questions. We absolutely love it. We absolutely appreciate it. We love everybody being a part of this because obviously we just do it for you guys. All right, Q's first question from Andrew is actually directed personally to you, and I'm pretty stoked to hear the answer. Q's, this has nothing to do with sports. I'm just curious. Uh, I had a question while I was at work at a, at a deli shop that I – service their beverage needs um what's more important to you a go-to bar a go-to deli or a go-to haircut place um everyone needs these go-to spots in their lives i'm having trouble picking out which is more important to me to be honest uh just curious your thoughts because you're so chill thanks yeah, I mean, fair enough. I mean, that's a really excellent question because if you can't find premium select meats, I mean, what do you even eat? On the flip side, I mean, sometimes you just need to go to a bartender to talk about the issues of the day, like how the Suns fucking lost game too. Sometimes you just need – or vice versa. Sometimes you need a stiff drink, you know, for a nice date, and you got to look cool. But the real answer here is – and it's – you know, I'll get into a little bit why – is – you need a good barber. Having a good barber shop is everything, every tool who goes to the gym seven days a week 
thinks that the gym is. Having a good barbershop not only means that you got like it's basically like a Woody Buzz Buzz Lightyear situation there. You got a friend in me. If you have a good barber, he's a boy. And not only that, dude, barbers are fucking hooked up, dude. They're part of the service industry. So you know what having a good barber means? One, if he's chill and like, you know, kind of in your age range, he knows what's up around town, dude. And I don't, what does that mean? You know, that means he knows where the go-to bar is. He means he has the go-to bartender. And he's like, yo, get a little bit of a cosign there. Be like, yo, my barber, Mickey, said that, like, I should come get a drink from you. So, like, thank you. Obviously, you got tip well there. Also, side note, if he's a little bit older, that means he knows the premium delis to go to because he knows how to feed a help. If he has a good marriage, which he probably does if he's a bartender because he's a smart guy, that means he feeds his wife well. And that means that he's got premium select meats on, on lock. And then obviously the barbershop is a family, right? So then not only do you – realistically in the barbershop, you have both of those guys. And so by having an A-plus barber, not only do you look fresh at all times, you have the other two on lock. And that's why it's most important. Dude, I think that's the perfect answer there. I, Yeah, wow. I know uh, my barber here, I go to uh, Joey B at V's, and he definitely is – hooked in with the Cardinals season ticket holder. He cuts a lot of their hairs and he uh, loves to give me some inside scoops while we're, while we're getting my uh, hair buzz. So I definitely see where you're coming from there, that they got the connections to the city for sure. They know everybody, especially if they're really good. Like Joey B from B's is, I mean, if he's cut my boy Alex's hair, he must be clean. And so yeah. that, that means not only Alec recognizes real, that means all the real players out there. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Larry Fitzgerald gets his dreads cut there, dude. I mean, that's probably how tight your boy is. So, I mean, that's the type of connections we're talking about here with a barber. Yeah, dude, I, I agree 100%. What, what, a, what a great answer. Uh, next question from Andrew. It's going to hit maybe a sore subject for us, but it's something we gotta we got to get into. Hey, boys, uh, the Suns are officially carrying the Valley on their shoulders. Um, what you guys think about the little scuffle? Why does LeBron – honest question, why does LeBron feign absolute just pain and distress every time that he falls down? Um, I can even remember when he was on the Cavaliers and he fell and slid – and then, like, as he was stopping his slide, his head hit a camera, and uh, he freaked out about his head. And then they showed it in slow motion replay. It was like he barely hit the camera. Anyway, um, it's got to be theatrics or something, like, strategic. Uh, I hate to be insensitive, but shit's starting to piss me off. Um, what happened in that? Thanks. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to stick up for Le Flop, dude. I mean, definitely Academy Award-winning performances. I mean, there was a stat. Oh, my gosh. the I mean, I threw it in the group, the Kevin Pilar, 36 seconds. But there was also a funnier picture with four different injuries. I forget the football one, but the hockey one is P.K. Subban got caught, had a literal flesh, like, uh, not a flesh wound, but this is not, that's not it. He literally got like his arm cut or like his neck cut with a blade and he didn't miss his shift. 
And so, I mean, guys playing with life or death there, you know, probably not what I would have done personally, but that's the type of pro athlete mindset you got to have. LaFlop is annoying. Af. The fact that Chris Paul with one arm is literally pulling down LeBron James is all you didn't need to know. I mean, Chris Paul is the size of an average human being. You know, he's a little bit taller, six foot. Like, I think he's probably like 180. But LeBron James is literally Miles Garrett large. In fact, I think he's better than Miles Garrett. So to think that Chris Paul is pulling down LeBron James is just ridiculous. And then also on the flip side, uh, yeah, I mean, Chris Paul getting kind of messed around a little bit. You know, I don't like to see that, dude. I don't like to see that. It makes me wish I had, uh, you know, maybe a Matt Barnes, maybe a Rajah Bell, maybe, uh, you know, maybe a Meta World piece on the bench, maybe to throw some elbows, you know. That's that's what I think about. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the football player referring to in that graphic was uh, Joey Burrow getting his ATL, MCL, and other ligamentous injuries just ripped apart in that sack. That's correct, and he was only yeah. down for – he was still down less than LeBron was. Yeah, way less. I mean, it's insane. I mean, and that's that was- crazy, though. You know what I mean? I think, it, I think honestly, it all has to do with the culture of NBA. NBA is all about me, me, me. Let me get, let me make it as easy as possible. Let me get all these calls. Let me get, let me get handed life on a platter. Bunch of soft ass pussies run the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the antics LeBron does. You know, I love to hit on LeBron, but I'll give him a little bit of leeway here, where. A lot of the antics you see is common for some of the more European floppers of the league where they get the call because someone swipes at the ball and they pretend like it hit their face or whatever it is, and you get a call that can help your team win. So it, those plays are annoying if it's going, if you're going against that, but there's a, there's a reason for it, a basketball winning reason for it. But then there's those plays that LeBron has where he just spends so much time on the ground rolling around. It does nothing to help sell the play. The play's already been sold. The play is over. You got the call. And to keep just rolling on the ground after getting you know hit in the forehead and pretending like your eye was poked out and you're seeing triple or the CP3 incident where he grabbed his arm and acted as if like his shoulder had been ripped out of its socket. And at that point, it's just an attention-seeking thing. There's nothing else to it. It's just a, a total attention seeking thing. And when I see that, I genuinely don't understand how anyone can have an ounce of respect for LeBron beyond maybe some of the plays and achievements he's had on the court. Uh, I just don't see, you know, when people make these claims like, oh, Jordan played against scrubs, LeBron's so much tougher, LeBron would have won every year if he played in the 80s and 90s. And it's like, dude, have you watched what's been going on recently? LeBron can't even handle a six-foot guard in Chris Paul. You think Bill Lambeer isn't going to send him to the shadow realm? Like, it's ridiculous. Wow, that's an excellent reference. That's awesome. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So it, his antics are annoying. I think it's actually turning more people off. I think it's doing more harm than good at this stage in his career because even my uh, close family friends from Kansas City flew out. Uh, their dad helped design the new reno- renovations for the stadium, and so they got to actually go to game one, which is sick for them. And they have, you know, no stake in this fight, really. And even they're getting tired of LeBron James just whining about how much of a little bitch he is. So I think I think it's turning more people off to LeBron James, honestly. Yeah, I mean, agreed. But you kind of mentioned it. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a good little transition point or 
expansion point about injuries. So you get that LeBron injury in game one, the injury in air quotes, which came after the CP3 actual injury that sent him back to the locker room. He ended up coming back in that game, but obviously had some issues with that arm moving forward. Uh, so what, what did you see at a CP3 in game one after the injury and maybe even leading into game two that you liked or didn't like? And how do you feel about that? Ooh, I mean, that's a great question. Honestly, from the way that the game one ended, I kind of – I thought CP3 was fine, to be honest. Like, I, I kind of looked like – you know, because, like, if you ever had a stinger before, like, it definitely sucks. And it definitely takes a little bit of time to go away. Like, I didn't think that it, he'd be 100% by game two. But to see hit the way – I mean, he scored seven points in the first game. And almost all those points came before the injury, except for maybe one. And then in the second game, he has six points. I was and the two baskets that I like remember him scoring, he he looked like he was struggling for sure. And so he looks like he's in a lot of pain. Like he doesn't look like he really should have even been playing yesterday. Um, I like that he did play. I like that he tried to tough it out. I like that Monty Williams came out and basically said, you know, kind of like to protect CP3 a little bit. Because when he does go back on the floor, you're kind of like, mm, like, why isn't he out there with four minutes left or whatever? But Monty said he just pulled him because he didn't want to watch it, which I guess we can touch on in a second here because I don't know that I love that. But you know, CP3 is a gutsy guy, and honestly, at this, you know, it's it's the Steve Nash 2.0 situation here. And for Chris Paul, it's not his first time either, so he's this is his third bout of something like this. And I don't really know how serious the injury is, but it looks extremely serious. And I'm not even sure he is 40 percent of CP3 right now. Yeah, like you said, the the way he tried to tough it out, even in game one. And then starting again in game two is impressive, and it's what you want to see out of a leader, and I think you definitely expect that from a guy like Chris Paul. But it was clear in that game. we So we ended up winning that first game despite the injury. I was pretty worried when he went down that that would be a huge momentum shift and we'd just fall apart after that. So it was nice to see us hold that together. But it was clear, I don't know if you remember game one, when he would dribble up the court, anytime he would try to switch to dribble with his right arm, he would just lose the ball. Like, it would just get away from him. It was hard to watch, and it was definitely a struggle for him to even get it up towards the basket. So, and, and I think no one was really sure how game two he would come out with that injury. He definitely wanted to start and wanted to play. You could tell early he was looking to pass and facilitate because he was not an effective shooter because of that injury. And even though he's great at running an offense and kind of commanding what goes on the floor and can be of some help to the team, I think Chris Paul, without the ability to shoot, it takes away so much of what makes him great and what's lethal in a pick and roll. Like a pick and roll with Aiden only works because if you stay down on Aiden to prevent an oop of any kind, Chris Paul's going to hit you with that mid-range shot. And if he can't do that, it makes it so much easier to guard, and he's almost ineffective out there. So that, that's a little bit concerning. You to think me. so? You think he's ineffective if he can't shoot? I mean, he's he obviously is still capable of, you know, running the offense, getting good assists out there, and getting guys in position. But that pick and roll with Aiton was doing nothing in game two. 
Absolutely nothing because they would just stay down on eight and knowing that Chris Paul is not going to heat up a shot because it's not going to even get to the rim. Um, and you could tell he, there, were, there were also moments where they'd be swinging the ball around the key and Chris Paul had a decent open look at three that he normally just pulled trigger on that and he just had to pass it up because he knew the shot was not going to be a good one. No, I agree. In fact, I think for like the first two quarters there, it was definitely like Chris Paul doesn't want to shoot. But then when he made that first shot, I thought that was going to be a momentum changer for him. And then he made that second shot, and I was like, okay, like, you know, I think he kind of figured out how to maneuver the shoulder to get the shot in. And so I guess later on, as he, like, was taken out, I was surprised. But, I mean, it makes sense now, like, looking back at the plays. But I thought, like, you know, I thought he was figuring it out. Did you notice that he was trying to figure it out? And he like it looked like he kind of had it, and then it just w- kind of went downhill from there. Yeah, he definitely figured out kind of how to sh- heave it up there, but he had to be. He seemed, at least to me, to have to be pretty close to the basket. Like I don't think he has the range right now with the injury to shoot beyond fifteen feet. No, for sure. But I mean, like his elbow jumper was the shot, the first shot, and the second shot that he made that I'm thinking of. Yeah, and that's ten feet. You know. Yeah, but then even like from the free throw line, so he's a ninety three point six percent free throw shooter this year. Like the dude just doesn't miss, and he went two of four from the line yesterday because he just, you know, you could tell too is short because he's just having to put so much effort into getting that ball up there. I don't know, man. I hope it's just a stinger. Um, I know it doesn't. I don't, I, mean, I, don't, away, but... I don't think that it is a stinger. That's why I bring that up because it like because he clearly tried to play through it. And it clearly didn't work. I mean, to the point where I don't think he pulled himself. I think Bonte said, look, you're hurting the team. I think that's the only reason why Chris Paul wasn't freaking out on the bench. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Because he's a psycho, dude. That guy's a fucking psychopath, dude. Like, if he could have been on the floor in the last four minutes, I think he would have been. And I guess, I guess, you know, a quick question here before we get into more of the Sun stuff. But does – if CP3 – what do you do with him next game? Do you sit him next game and hope he's prepared for Sunday? You know, give him a few extra days of rest. Do you sit him tomorrow? And or if CP3 isn't healthy, do you still think we can win the series? Those are those are both great questions. Um, I think it depends on what the injury is. I don't I think the the team is intentionally not telling us what the real injury is. You know, shoulder contusion, that's just a bullshit medical term for Yeah, but I mean you saw it, dude. He can't I mean he can't shoot the ball. Right. And right. he can't so dribble. I, think, I mean right. like that he's basically his arm is disabled to a degree. So yeah, hundred percent. I think what you have to do then, if you're Monty Williams and the Suns coaching staff, is you know what the injury is, whether it was a you know, actual tendon ligament damage, whether it really was just a you know, hit hard and just isn't quite recovering yet or what the injury is, the extent of it. And I think you also have to then monitor him in shoot around today and at practice today and be honest with him and yourself of whether or not you think he's going to be a plus or a minus out there if he's on the court. If he's at shoot around today and he's like, you know what, coach, my arm's getting better every day. I'm feeling better about it. I think I can really help this team and be beneficial. You start him out there. But if it's going to be more of the same of what we saw kind of towards the end of game one and into game two, I think you dress him for sure because you're going to need him at some point to relieve campaign. But 
at that point, you got to have an honest conversation about whether or not he's going to help or hurt the team if he's injured and playing out there. Um, as, in terms of your second question, if, if it's before, if we're going to be without CP3 for the series, I think it becomes a lot harder of a path for us to win. I'm not like these analysts on TNT and you know NBA TV and ESPN that have never watched a single Suns game in their life and decided that the series is over now and we're going to not win another game for the rest of the series. Like You clearly haven't watched the Suns. We're capable of beating this Lakers team even without Chris Paul. But can we beat them another three games before they get to four? That's a tougher question that I'm not sure what the answer is. Fair enough, fair enough. I'll definitely answer that in a sec. But I guess before I, I give my CP3 query, um, big X factor of the first two games, DeAndre Ayton. Did you splooge all over the TV as you saw him play basketball? Dude, so I watched the first game at, at home with some family and friends. And then the second game out at the bar with uh, Bruner last night. And let's just say when Aiton was on the floor doing his thing, I could not sit up or stand up from the couch or the table because I would just have a raging, raging erection. <laughs> uh, he, he is playing so well so far this series. He's been a huge, consistent factor for us in these first two games, and it's been awesome to watch him play. Yeah, and 100%. Uh, I mean, DA game two last night, 22-10-1. and one. 11 from 13 from three, only one turnover. I mean, with the dribble drive there, looking like he's LeBron James, I was so jacked. And then in the first game, obviously, 10 of 11 from the field goals, 21, 16, no assists, one block. I mean, outplayed Anthony Davis, a top five player, they say. I mean – Listen, I mean, we kind of touched on it last time. I mean, like, what was the X factor that really was going to put it over the hump for the Suns? And obviously, we didn't know the CP3 was coming down the pipeline. Like I said, I'll I'll, I'll touch on that after we touch on everything else. But um, DeAndre Ayton, he has the skills, I said. He could do it. It's just if he – will he show up for the playoffs? DeAndre Ayton, playoff watch, 2020 edition. I made the joke. And then he shows up, dude. And I don't even know who that is. He's so good. <laughs> he, uh, he he must have heard you talking shit. And he's like, I'm going to go prove this man wrong here. No, but I love it, though, dude. Because this is kind of like one thing. Like, the big thing with the regular season I always felt like is he just was uninterested to a degree. And so I was like, you know, I remember saying at one time in the pod is like, I, I don't know. I don't know what playoff eight will be. But I don't know how concerned I am about him because, like, he'll actually be in every game because every game is important. And, like, a lot of those weird stuff that he would do in the regular season, like a bunch of turnovers in one game or just, like, literally not knowing what defense he should be playing on the other end. I, that's all out the window, dog. But I didn't. I still did not see this. I mean, he's playing. Even after last game, him and Anthony Davis are going toe-to-toe in this series right now. Yeah, I mean that that first game he had the the like you said the twenty one and sixteen, um, super efficient. He's shooting over ninety percent from the field, and then eight of those sixteen rebounds in game one were offensive rebounds. Ten games obviously yet or ten rebounds obviously yesterday, um, but I think what's even more impressive is that you know I had even said when we talked about this last week, what do you need to see from 
DA in this series. And I said, he doesn't need to score that much for me as long as he can play some solid defense. And not only is he playing solid, insane help defense and even shut AD down in the first game, but now he's giving us this much offensive production and second chance points. Like that's above and beyond what I asked him to do. And if he can continue this type of play and this type of energy for the rest of the series, that's such a good sign for us. A hundred percent. I mean, I feel like he's kind of carrying the team. Like, I don't know how you feel about Devin Booker's performance in these first two games. Obviously the first game he played well, but the second game, 17 free throws, seven for 17 for field goals, 0 for 3 from 3, finishes with 31 points. But a lot of those games, a lot of those points came in like the junk time at the very end. I think he scored his like 10 points in the last two minutes there when we were kind of just out of reach. But to me, DeAndre Ayton is the best player for the Suns so far. And I am beyond Jack because if this is DeAndre Ayton, I mean, he is a monster. Yeah, he's been he's been the most solid. I, I thought Booker had a great game one, obviously. Him and Aiton together were really what carried us that game, especially after the CP3 injury. Yeah. Um, he booked with he, 34, 7, and 8, 13 for yeah. 26, 3 for 7, 5 for 6 from free throws, uh, plus 9, 1 steal. Yeah, but then yesterday, you know, he did he got his points, but it just it seemed like he was taking bad shots at inopportune times and just wasn't quite – the same guys in game one, and you're right, most of those points were some of those stat-padding useless points at the end after we were already out of it. Um, well, so just I, because I say that because, like, if you take away those kind of those last 10 points from him, which are all kind of, like, very much hollow, like you're saying there, he only ends the game with 21 points. So only really 21 points were meaningful from him. And I just – I didn't think he played well at all last night. And like, like you were touching on, I feel like when CP3 is out of the game – Devin Booker turns into, like, 2019 Suns Booker. Obviously a lot better, but he just, like, he thinks he has too much pressure on his shoulders, and he just starts kind of running around, and he starts trying way too hard, and he kind of gets out of, like, his skill set. Yeah, they, they do that sort of, like, iso ball where Booker feels like he needs to he needs to be the one to score here and put the offense on his back, and that's just not how the offense works now. Yeah, but because he like tries to take over that CP3 facilitator role too at the same time as like trying to play his normal position. And obviously, campaign had a great game there. Uh, you know, going off in that second half, both with a big three there late, but finishes with 19, three, and seven, six to 15 from field goals, three or seven for threes. All those threes were massive. I mean, two blocks of steal. I mean, the guy was all over the place. Kind of reminded me of Leandro Barbosa back in the day, except for could actually campaign could actually shoot the fucking ball. Um, so that was exciting as hell to see. But D book, I mean, while campaign was even out there, like like you said, he, he tries to take an ISO and he's he's trying to get to his matchup, and then there's like nine seconds left on the clock, and he doesn't really have a spot, he's not at his spot yet, and then he kind of panics, he tosses the ball, and then even early in game two, he we had seven turnovers in the first quarter. I think four of them came from Book. And they were all, like, trying too hard to feed Aiton early rather than just take the easy layup or take the good shot or pass it out. And, I mean, those seven turnovers in the first quarter led to 12 Lakers points. So that was a – I mean, that, that was a big major key point to me as far as, like, why that game didn't go our way. 
But yeah, dude, and I was like, do you think Book is gonna figure that out, or do you think do you see him kind of struggling with that situation now that CP3 is out? You know, or gonna be seventy percent of CP3? I think Book will figure it out, um, but I think you're definitely right that it's an issue without CP3 because Book has increased his efficiency this year so much because of CP3 because Book doesn't feel like he has to be the one to bring the ball up the court. He doesn't have to be the one to score in every possession. He can kind of have that, you know, sit back and let the let the offense progress into him if need be. Um, so I think that it's definitely going to be tougher for Book to be the book we've seen throughout the year if, if Chris Paul is not out there healthy on the floor. But I think they'll take a look at the game film, and I think Monty is tight enough with this team and smart enough to talk to Book about it, and I think we'll see a different Devin Booker out there in game three. We need to see a different Devin Booker out there in game three, I should say. What does that look like to you? What does different D-Book look like? I think it's more of what we saw in game one. I like better shot selection, efficient shot selection. I don't need the uh, you know Twitter highlight, I'm going to – dribble between my legs and pull up in this dude's face. That's always cool when that happens. But in game one, Booker would pick his spots, get to that mid-range that's really his bread and butter, and just rise up and hit those easy, nice shots after the ball's been moved around the offense a bit and not just him dribbling out the clock and trying to jack up a shot because of the shot clock's running down. Um, and so I think that that's what we need to see more of. And if we see that Booker out there and Aiden keeps playing with the intensity uh, and playing level that he's been at, then you'll get a different result than what we got in game two. Okay. I, I like that. I like that. But moving on to another player who kind of needs to step up going into L.A., both games three and game four, Jay Crowder, man. He is one for 13 from three in the first two games, going one for six from three in game two, 0 for seven in game one. Obviously, game one didn't matter as much. But then also on that, Jay Crowder getting into early foul trouble in game two kind of messed up everything, Throwing, forcing Monty to throw Sarge into the four, which I thought personally was a really bad move. I thought Torrey Craig or maybe even throwing Cam Johnson up there early with Mikhail Bridges to pair him up, uh, both being tall, lanky threes. I feel like they kind of match up with a four, um, I guess, unless it's AD. So, But Sarge at the four – I mean, you were saying it. That ain't it, dude. So what do you think about Jay Crowder? And maybe what do you think he needs to do to step up in these next two games? I think that you – I shouldn't say I think. I know that you have been on – pretty much on point with Jay Crowder throughout the whole season where he's got that Steph Curry mentality of next shot's going in, next shot's going in. So he doesn't ever stop. There, there were points in the game yesterday where I wish he would stop shooting because I would like somebody else that's going to actually have a shot at making it take it. But at the same time, what makes him so good when he's on is that he has that mentality. So I don't think you're going to get Jay Crowder to stop putting up those threes and those numbers. It's just the ball needs to start going in the net for him. Um, and then I also wonder how much of the early nut tap from AD affected his play the rest of the game. I say that kind of jokingly, but also kind of serious because I feel like after getting kicked in the nuts, it's hard to bounce back from that and play normally. 
so I think Jay Crowder's defense is really important because he's a body in there that can help with AD so that it's not all on Aiden. And well, he's the it, LeBron stopper too. I mean, he was the main LeBron, guy on LeBron. Yeah. yeah, and those, like you said, those two quick fouls on Crowder were brutal. One of which yeah, I didn't see exactly. Fouls, two foul. fouls within the first minute. The first one was super cheap, and the second one on eight. I mean, on Anthony Davis, where he did get sack tapped with a foot, which was us. Oh, that sucks. Like I definitely see that. But then he even picked up a third foul later on the first. So he had three fouls in the first quarter. Yeah, and I'm with you 100. percent I want to see Tory Craig out there. I don't know what happened to Dario Saric because he was a consistent 13 point guy, 13 points, you know, four or five rebounds, help the team out. He'd play limited, you know, 20, 25 minutes and get those numbers. And I don't know if he's just got the yips or whatever. He went into that weird health and safety code protocol, but never actually had it. And it was just this whole weird thing. And since then he just has not been a functional NBA player. He's out there fumbling the ball around, turning it over, missing shots, playing garbage defense so I need to see Tory Craig out there if Jay Crowder gets into foul trouble like that again because Sarge is useless right now, and I don't want him out on the floor at all. Um, but I think that you definitely want Jay Crowder to stay out of foul trouble if possible because Tory Craig is an asset, but you also can't just rely on him to come in immediately in the first quarter after two quick fouls. At the same time, though, it's, you know, it's easy to press on a guy for getting into foul trouble when he's making boneheaded fouls, but it's also harder when you're playing against the Los Angeles Lakers in 2021, when the refs like to blow their whistle every other possession. And, you know, some of these fouls are questionable and they're very impactful fouls. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I agree with you there. I mean, the Lakers got the benefit of every single whistle last night. I mean, seen by Anthony Davis. Bounce back game. 21 free throws, dude. How? What? How is that a bounce-back game? I mean, the refs just basically gave – you go 18 from 21, that's 18 points. That means you literally had 16 points on the floor. Literally suck my ass, Anthony Davis, bounce-back game. But secondly, I, you know, if it was Mikael Bridges or Cam Johnson or even Torrey Gregg to a lesser extent, you know, like three guys with a lot less playoff experience than Jay Crowder, um, and they got in the early foul trouble, that would be one thing. But Jay Crowder knows what's up when guarding LeBron and superstars because that's literally has been his job his entire time in the NBA. And to get into early foul trouble like he did in game two where he has three fouls in the first quarter, basically, not only one makes him so much less effective defensively because guys will go at him knowing he's not going to pick up a fourth foul in the first half. But secondly, that's that's just... That's what, like, playoff inexperience you would expect from a Suns team, not from the second most savvy vet guy on the squad. And so I thought, personally, that was inexcusable that he got into foul trouble so early because he, especially with CP3 out, he's the only guy with real playoff experience besides CP3 on this team. And he needs to step up. And this bullshit, like, oh, like – I, no, dude. Like, I'm fine if he misses the threes. Uh, same thing with all the Suns. I mean, we only went for eight from 26 from three, which is kind of not really good, honestly, for Sun standards. We've had games where we've gone 14 for 26 from three. So, eight from 26 from three is just kind of like whatever. Kind of going to the point. Um, you know, I'm for the Suns offense. I think it's awesome. 
guy who's open shoots the ball. I think that's going to work out more often than not. I don't mind. Like you said, Jay Crowder's streaky AF. Um, we've touched on it all season. I mean, he went 0 for 9 at one point in the season and didn't even know it until the reporter asked him the day after because he's just he lives in his own world, which I'm cool with also. But the defense from Jay Crowder is an absolute necessity because uh, AD can't be left to hang. Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Torrey Craig are the only three guys that can really even guard AD or LeBron besides DeAndre Ayton and Jay Crowder. And they're too young. They like even like to expect them to have to shut down LeBron in a first their first playoff series is ridiculous. And Jay Crowder needs to step up, dude. Or we're gonna we're gonna have a much or we're gonna have a much sadder podcast next time. Simply because you know, like all the calls do go the Lakers way. And it is like that, and it's fine. But everybody knows that going into the game. And so as a fan, it's one thing to be like, yeah, like this is bullshit, which it is. But it's another thing to be like, how do we win this game knowing that the refs are against us? And like that's the job of the player to make it happen anyway. And so, but I did like the fight from the Suns overall, though. I mean, we were down 15 at one point. And then we sang all, like we we didn't even play well, I felt like. You said it was our worst first quarter. I would argue it was our some of our worst basketball I've seen us play in that first half, mostly because CP3 is not out there to facilitate the offense. I mean, you can kind of see why he was the MVP of the squad, simply because when he's not out there, Devin Booker's running around. Devin Booker and Campaign are both running around with, like, chickens with their head cut off. You know, Campaign, like, Campaign had literally a bounce pass off the backboard to DeAndre Ayton for a sick alley-oop. But I don't think he was trying to do that, to be honest. <laughs> so, like, I, I love that campaign came out and shot the lights out. I, I excited to see that. But he's definitely the sixth guy. And it's important that more role players start to contribute. Cam Johnson, obviously, with two massive threes to get us closer in the third quarter. But, I mean, saying all that, where we didn't even play well, four minutes left, final quarter, fourth quarter, game tied. What did you think how we played from that point forward? We definitely did not play well after that point. But I like what you said about the fight because you're right. Game two was overall we had we had spurts there where we made it close and we kept fighting. But we did not play a good game at all. You referenced how poor our shooting was from three. Our defense was bad. Our turnovers were abysmal. We didn't have CP3. Pretty much the only player that played as well as they did in game one, like we touched on, was Aiton. And so, obviously, we didn't close out those last couple minutes like we wanted to. But the fact that it was, what, like 94 to 94 with four and a half, four minutes left to go. In four the minutes game, left. It was tied, yeah. Yeah, after how awful we played, just shows me positive signs that this team can fight even when they're not playing well. And you put that into the perspective of, hey, if – Jay Crowder hits maybe one of those shots that he jacked up and missed or a bounce goes our way or something changes, like we could win that game. And if I think if we would have won that game, here's here's why I think it's important. It, being tied 1-1 is not the end of the world. It's not push the panic button, it's over. But I think if you win that game after how poorly you played, like the Lakers played pretty much the game they wanted to play and – kept us in check. Well, and if the, we still- honestly, the Lakers have been shooting the lights out both games now, honestly, except for Anthony Davis. 
LeBron James has made almost every shot it seems like that he takes, and he's definitely not. That's that's not normal. So law of averages will definitely come down. A lot of guys for the Lakers, I feel like, are shooting way above what they normally shoot too. Except for ex- with the exceptions of AD and KCP for them, everyone else is shooting the lights out for the Lakers. So that will definitely regress at some point. Yeah, point. I hope so. I hope so. But I, I just think if you win that game in game two after playing so shitty, that's that has to be so demoralizing for that Lakers team. So even though the yeah, but we did it, bro. I know. That's what I mean. So the result is not what we wanted. And that's why we got our uh, three C's out to cure our depression from that loss. But I also want to look at the positive, which I rarely do because I'm always a more negative, realistic-looking person. But if we look at the positive, we were in that game late, like you mentioned, tied with four minutes left after playing as horribly as we did. And it still took that for the Lakers to win that game. So I think if we play even marginally better than we did in game two, we can win a lot of these other games. We would have won that game if we played even just a couple percent points better than we normally do. Yeah, uh, I don't know about that, honestly. I think I think if we can figure out how to make threes a lot more, like, like obviously eight for 26, like that's probably good for another team. But the way the Suns shoot, I mean, like I said, we kind of are more on the range of like 12 to 14 shots made there on a like a good shooting day and on a good shooting day we could honestly shoot 16 for 26 and so i do think though that la- those last four minutes um now touching on my cp3 point that is where we miss cp3 most that is where you miss you miss the clutching of the w in the final four minutes that's where you miss those a plus shot opportunities that chris paul's giving you that's where you miss him getting him that IQ of his, just getting someone important like LeBron James into foul trouble early in the fourth, or someone like AD or Drummond, where they can't just hang low, or even Caruso there, where he thinks he's hot shit because he can dunk. Like, cool, bro, you're fucking white, dude. Welcome to the club. Um, and I think that's where you miss CP through the most. Because if you look at any, like, the biggest reason we were where we were in the standings versus having being like, because I would say this, the, Without CP3, this team is like a 7-8 seed in the West. You know, it's still a legit playoff team. But CP3 clutching the final four minutes of basically every single game that we won, legitimately, almost every single game that we won. I mean, we ha- we ha- must have had some of the lo- – I think we were like fifth. Oh, man. I don't have the stat in front of me. But we – a lot of our games were really close and really tight. And we ended up just winning – because Chris Paul is a winner, and he wanted it, and he wanted that one seed or whatever. And so he would just do whatever it took. And I think that's where you notice Chris Paul the most, or at least I did personally. I've just – Devin Booker running around with his – with like, he doesn't know – he like, he just – he's not CP3. So not to, like, diss Booker or anything, cause I, but that's not his position. He's not a point card like that. He's not going to be able to feed Cam Johnson or Jay Crowder or Mikhail Bridges with a sexy three – He's not going to be able to, you know, feed Aiton down low, which he does do from time to time. But final four minutes of the playoffs of a fourth quarter in a game two against the defending champions, that's that was CP3 time. And I was honestly really disappointed. And I guess, like, going back to where I was surprised why he wasn't out there, because I don't even think you need CP3 to be making shots at that point. I think you just simply need him there because of the way he moves around on the court 
just opens everything up. Even if he's not making that jumper, um, he's able to facilitate the ball so much better than anybody else. I mean, even campaign, like with what he did last night, he wasn't really like facilitating. He was more just like, oh, him and Booker are playing like a pick and pop and pass situation. And then if Aiden's up down low, we'll toss it down there. But it was like two, three passes max. Where like the Suns ball this year has been four, five. Oh, here's that extra pass right there. Drain the three. Oh, extra pass, wide open shot. And that's where I personally noticed um, Chris Paul's absence the most. And I think like this clutch winning time, that's what CP3 is for. So if we could, like, I don't think Chris Paul needs to, he played 23 minutes last game. I think that's honestly too much, um, depending on his shoulder injury. He played 30 minutes in game one. I think all we need from Chris Paul is legitimately keep him warm enough throughout the game so that the final five minutes of the game, he can play the whole time. And he can clutch the dub. Because, honestly, even with a bum shoulder, who would I rather have shooting from the elbow? Chris Paul or anybody, or I guess, well, Booker too, I guess, to a degree. Although I will say that the fact, if there was Jim, James Harden who did that against LeBron where there was no call and Booker ended up laying on the ground, James Harden's hitting that call. So just more disrespect against Booker. Definitely a floppy shot. I didn't love it, but he went for it. And he honestly should have gotten it. Leading kind of to this run the Lakers went on with a Gasol three, a big LeBron dunk, a Caruso dunk, pulling away at the end. That kind of stuff doesn't happen with CP3 on the floor. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do for CP3. But I think he needs to be back. I don't even think he needs to play a lot. But I do think he needs to be on the court for the final three minutes, if not the final five minutes, for sure. Um, and then, you know, going to the Lakers and LA, we have the best road record in the association, 24 and 12. And, I mean, these boys play defense. These aren't the Steve Nash teams of old where you're concerned. Like, hopefully we can outscore them. And so I think I think we sneak one from L.A. Somehow, either D-Book going off or the team just draining threes for days. I think one of those two ways is how we win one of the next two games, steal home court back. And then game five, dude, 16,000 fans for game five, dude. That place is going to be fucking rocking. Yeah, I, I, that's a very fair point. I think you're right, absolutely, that CP3 is huge for the team, especially in those last minutes. And I'm sure there are stats to back it up and even the intangibles that you can't use to back it up. Of how I mean, many just look, you just look at the way, like, he kind of even just, you know, like, as he's dribbling towards the hoop, how he, like, even just blocks Schroeder from getting in front of him or blocks AD from getting in front of him, opening up a guy – you know, like that's the kind of stuff that book and campaign like can't do. They don't have that like, and they're just not there yet. And book's not that's not his job. Yeah, I think CP three is absolutely huge for those final minutes, just like you said. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see if we do end up playing in those final minutes in the coming games, depending on the injury. And it'll also be a good time to see how effective he'll be in keeping that composure of the team and running and facilitating the offense. It also actually leads them perfectly to another mailtime Andrew question about that. I'm uh, going to be the first to say that I didn't watch 
many Suns games this year. I actually only watched one regular season one, which is kind of tough with my schedule and prefer Coyotes games for the most part. But uh, from what it looks like, Cam Payne is a pretty solid backup point guard. With an injury to Chris Paul, can he actually facilitate the offense or does Devin Booker have to start carrying the ball at the floor? Um, and then follow-up question on that. We've had some incredible backup point guards, Leandro Barbosa, Goran Dragic, Young Dragic, uh, Marcus Banks. Mm, I don't know. But uh, can we just go, Alec, who's your favorite Phoenix Suns backup point guard in history? Thanks. No. You don't think so? Not like CP3. No, I don't. I think you're right. I don't think you can facilitate just like CP3, well, obviously. I, but do I mean, you think? I, but do you think that campaign can facilitate enough to get the job done? To get a win? Yes. I think that the way that we win one of these next games, like I just touched on, is either the team just goes absolutely off from three. The law of averages works in our favor. Jake Crowder goes off. Mikael Bridges goes off. Cam Johnson goes off. Book goes off, or even Book just has like a 65-point game and wills us to a victory, I think is also another way for us to win. But do I think campaign is going to run the offense in a way that is going to lead us to a win? Absolutely not. And, like, that's no shot at campaign, but campaign – CP3 is literally the point god. He's legitimately – if he had – if he never got injured in the playoffs – LeBron's legacy might be completely different. And so much less his own legacy. And so I would just say that the drop-off between CP3 and like kind of what we just touched on is I think campaign will be serviceable. Well, that was like legitimately the best campaign I've ever seen. And do I think campaign can do that for the next five or however many games? I don't know, but I wouldn't be betting on it. I think it has to be more of a team win. And, you know, can campaign be part of that? Sure. But is he going to, you know, drain three massive threes? Um, I don't know. But I would also say that if CP3 doesn't come back in this series or kind of even what he was in game two where he only played like 20 – like he played 20 minutes but like 20 pretty ineffective minutes overall, I – I don't know how the Suns win outside of Booker becoming a superstar. It's a fair it's a fair point. It's a concerning point if CP3 indeed cannot get himself right for the rest of the series. He's the MVP of the team. Oh, and he yeah. legit could have been the MVP award winner. I mean, you can't just take a guy off that, you know, much less all that stuff, but just, you know, broad overview. Take the MVP off any team. They're not as good. And this is, I mean, prime time right now to take advantage of the Lakers who feel like they're hot shit right now. But, and I don't think the Suns are scared. I don't think it's that. I just think it's kind of more of like clutching in the last four minutes. You know, you're going up against LeBron James. Like you, like legitimately, if we are up by 12 points with four minutes left and CP3 isn't on the court, like there's still a, like we don't, that's not a walk. Like, LeBron James and Anthony Davis are on the other side of the floor, even if they are hurt. Like, you got to be real about who's on the other side here. I agree with you. I I definitely agree that CP3 is huge, especially in the final minutes. 
but I will disagree a little bit that I think campaign can do enough to facilitate the offense for us to win. I don't think it's going to be as solid or MVP caliber like CP3, but I think even last night, campaign did all he could to will us to that to that victory. And if a couple of the guys on our side of the floor hit some of their shots that they normally make, I think we get a different result that game. So I don't think you can throw that all on campaign not being. Quite I don't know, up. dude. I don't know, dude, because that's not why we lost the game. Because like I said, like, like it would be nice if we were up six points in those last four minutes. But those last four minutes consisted of four of the worst offensive possessions of the entire game. And that's why we lost. It wasn't because, like, like even with all that, like, LeBron and AD stopped us in the last four minutes. And campaign, you know, is not a – like, he just – it's not on him to have the answer. Booker doesn't play it, that It role. might be now. It might be on campaign now to have the answer. He might have to be that guy. You think campaign is going to be the answer to LeBron James and AD in the final four minutes? No, but if Chris Paul What does that out, look like to you then? If, what does that if, look like to you? If Chris Paul is out, he's got to be that guy. He has to be the one to help facilitate the offense, prevent a lot of those ISO bad possession plays at the end, and get this offense rolling so that we can we can build enough of a lead at the end to hold on and win. Yeah, but that's the thing though. It's like even last night in game two, it was Booker was kind of taking control of the offense and campaign basically was only taking the ball up the court when Booker didn't want to. And so, like, campaign's not even the main facilitator when he is on the floor. Like, that's when Booker takes that position. Yeah, I know. And it, and it obviously didn't work out that well for us in that game. But I just – I think I think he's got enough in him to help us win a couple games if CP3's not there. It's obviously not ideal. Oh, man. But- I think I don't that's, know what a, that's a wild statement, Alec. Like, listen, I love the optimism, but I think, like, especially, I mean, even if Jay Crowder bounces back, like, not having CP3 on this team, this team is now playoff inexperienced. This team now only has one player who's not even a main facilitator who has any playoff experience, and we're going up against the defending champs and LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like, I think that, it's a much more dire situation if Chris Paul doesn't come back. Like, even if campaign plays his ass off, like, he could score 30, 30 points in the next two games. And if D-Book doesn't go absolutely off, if Aiden doesn't do him, um, I think it's still – it's, like, I – and that's just – like, that's the awesome scenario of, like, what's the best-case scenario? Campaign just going absolutely off. I still don't know if that's enough to win because then you're going to put LeBron in a situation where – all he has to do is get Anthony Davis in foul trouble, or not Anthony Davis, DeAndre Ayton in foul trouble, and then they're just picking apart down low. So I think I think it's a I think C- lack of CP three is a much bigger problem than can campaign facilitate the offense because like yeah can he be a part of why we win sure but can he be the reason why we do win no, and CP three could win a game this series by himself, so. Yeah, I mean, I hope you're wrong because we, we might have to see that situation play itself out depending on how the CP3 injury goes. No, but in the next two games, dude, like like I'm saying, like I think the way that we win one of the next two, because that's all we only need to win one of the next two, is 
either DeAndre Ayton absolutely destroying Anthony Davis again, which I think definitely could happen now that he has that taste of it, or D-Book going for 50-plus, which definitely could happen, especially now that CP3 is out. You know, the team's a lot better than even the um, bubble run last year. And or, you know, the the three squad from deep going something like 16 for 26 from three. Which has happened this year, like I think I think those are three very likely scenarios for us to sneak a game from LA, and then like I said, we come back to Game Five, sixteen thousand fans, massive increase in fans from this these first two games. You know, CP three gets a little healthy, dude. It's back. You know, like that's that, I think that's an ideal situation. I agree, hundred percent. That's an ideal situation. Um, real quick, just to answer Andrew's second part of the question. Uh, my favorite backup point guard in Suns history. It's a tough one. There's been a few. Uh, obviously, I'm a big Goran Dragic fan. I wish we would have held on to him as our as our go-to point guard to take over the role of Steve Nash. But instead, we went with Eric freaking Bledsoe, and we know how that turned out. Uh, Leandro Barbosa historically has always been my favorite. The Brazilian blur, just him coming in to give Nash some minutes because he would just blow by everyone for a wide open layup every single time. Um, but, you know, recently making, making a push, honestly, it's been, been very short lived only bubble in this season, but campaign, if he keeps playing the way he has, is going to make a push for one of my favorites. And I'll tell you why, aside from just his play in the game, which I think has been excellent for us. I also love, he came to the press conference. I don't know if you saw this last night. You might've posted in the group me actually. But he came to the press conference wearing an upside down LA hat. And that's the type of anti LA chaotic Suns Arizona sports energy that I love to see. So he's making a he's making a push, but right now I'm gonna stick with Leandro Barbosa. That was um, that was Mac Daddy who put that in the group, man. Oh, was Mac that Daddy. was absolutely epic. That was insane. I love that hat. It's insane. and I love that from campaign. That's that's the type of energy and excitement that we need on this team right now, especially with the way things are going with that injury. We obviously won game one, come back game two, we lose. Series is tied 1-1. We've talked about what we need to see moving forward. I know we only need to take one of two in L.A. to get that home court back. Game three is going to be Thursday night at 7 p.m. in Staples Center. I just want your quick prediction. Do we win that game, yes or no? Um, that specific game. Yeah. Do you think, do you think game three is the game we got to take or do you think game four is, is good enough? I don't really care. I don't I mean, honestly, dude, listen, if you're telling me we take game three, like if you say to me like, oh yeah, we take game three, I, I'm, I'll probably say, did we win the fucking series? Do we win three, win game three? I have no idea to be honest. I mean, the first game back in LA, LA is going to be rocking. LA is a tough place to play. I don't know, man. It's gonna be tough. As f- it's gonna be so tough. It's gonna be so tough. So I don't know if we win Game Three. I only really care if we win one. But if if we did win Game Three, I think we might win Game Four. So that's what I would say. Like I think that's like I would be so impressed if we won Game Three because that would mean a lot of things, including we figured out how to win without CP3. See, I think it's more important that we win game three because I think 
We're going to come out fiery, trying to get that lead back in the series. So I think we take game three, if anything. And I think it'd be tougher if we lose game three and have to win game four kind of as a must win to not go down 3-1. So I think I think the look for us to come out just absolutely in fuego in game three with a passion to win, that fire, that spirit we saw game one, and I think we take game three. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm excited. It's time for the boys to get locked and loaded. It's time to go to L.A. and take care of business. Nervous and excited for the boys. I hope next time we get on the pod, we got some positive news to talk about in regards to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Mac Daddy's next question is about the D-backs. I feel like the Diamondbacks will inevitably go on a little uh, pod streak, nice run at some point before the end of the season, but there's no way we're getting out of this massive uh, six-foot deep hole. It's as long as the shovel is. Shout out to Stanley Yelnats. Shut up, Holes. Um, there's no way we're getting out of this hole. What can we do in the front office to salvage the season and get us excited about next year? Let's get creative and bold. Want to hear from both of you guys. Peace. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question. I mean, we definitely dove deep, I feel like, last pod. When we like kind of looked at it from Mike Hazen's perspective, like, you know, thinking about if everything would have worked out up to this year, you know, if there really wasn't injuries, you know, the whole not only the lineup stayed together, but if like Zach Allen was still pitching well, or I should just say still pitching, if Mad Bum didn't hit his hip flexor. I mean, before before that last game, which I don't even think he pitched bad, he just played in Colorado, which is like bomb squad city, uh, you know. I think he's still pitching well. I think it's kind of a fluke, but I think he's back to a degree. And, I mean, Luke Weaver's got shoulder injuries. But, I mean, before that, we were talking on the pod, like, could he be the guy we traded for? And then Merrill Kelly's a stud. And then, you know, we kind of rushed back Luke Widener, Luke Widener or Taylor Widener. Don't know why we did that. I don't get it. We're like – because there's, there's a difference between, like, oh, we have to save the season – or, like, we're out of it. But it's, dude, we're at game 50, man. If we're if we're within six games, eight games with, at the All-Star break, which, I mean, granted, it doesn't really look like we're doing. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, like like we talked about, it's like if all those things work out from Hazen, our team is up there battling with the Giants, Dodgers, and the Padres. So, um, I think that you couldn't even foretell a situation like this. Like, Oh, I'm GM. It'd be like tomorrow. It's like, okay, literally your house is going to burn down. All your favorite possessions are going to be gone. Your girlfriend's going to break up with you, and your car's going to get broken into. It's like, all right, well, that fucking blows. And so it's just such a tough question to answer. Do you have a question? Do you have an answer to this? Or like, No, have- I'm, no I'm with you 100%. And it's a tough question because, like you said, there's a ton of injuries going on. There's a lot of other factors at play. So I don't know what you really can do at this point, which we kind of referenced last time. What do you do if you're Mike Hazen? Well, and yeah. I, like, and I didn't – I mean, the only reason why – I don't even stick up for Mike Hazen, but I will not tolerate some fucking 30-year-old starting pitcher slander from the San Francisco Giants. I mean, it's been six starts. We're 25% of the way through the season. 30-plus-year-old starting pitchers are known for having good first halves and, like, literally garbage second halves. So, like, I kind of get 
I feel like Ben's point is more like from frustration of not even having a watchable baseball team. But also at the same time, it's just like, like I think, but I will say, Tori Lovello needs to get the fuck out of the town, dude. Losing streaks, like the one that Ben pointed out to in the group meet today, I didn't even realize it was that bad. One, that's not on the GM whatsoever. That Because those are all in-game situations. Because you know what losing streaks consist of? Making bad manager decisions. A bad bullpen decision and a game where you can break a losing streak carries the losing streak on a few more games than it should. And to see that, that made me think, how the frick is Tori Lovello still the, the managing manager of the D-backs? That's what that made me think initially. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm out on Lovello at this point. Um, I it think do anything. it's it's eye opening. You know, I I when Ben brought that up, I remember them as he brought them up. You know, obviously you don't always think right to that, but I remember in those times when we like the time we were leading the division in every single month including September and then didn't make the playoffs. And that's all attributed to massive losing streaks. And, you know, right now being in the middle of a nine game losing streak. Yeah. We have a lot of injuries, but it's early in the season. We've already gone on two multi multi series losing streaks, getting swept left and right. We got swept by the Dodgers in four games, swept by the Rockies who were supposed to be the worst team in baseball. But they literally traded the best that. player. Yeah. Yeah. And then now we lost one of the games to the giants who are obviously directly in our division and up at the top. So it's it's, well, it's extra brutal too because the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Padres, their starting pitching rotations are number one, number two, and number three. And not only in our division, but in Major League Baseball. Yeah, we're in the top division, so there's already not a lot of room for error, and we are making plenty of it. So I just – yeah, I don't know to answer Andrew's question. I really don't know what the front office can do. Like you've referenced, it's it's a, still it's not early, early, but it's still not towards the late end of the season. I think we'll have more clarity as we get closer to the All Star break as to injury prospects and where we're at in terms of the our record within the division. And I think at that point, that's when you got to start looking towards next season. I don't think you have to dump right now. And even if you were going to, I don't know what you would do. It's tough, man. Yeah, dude, that's a heck of a question, though. That's a heck of a question because I feel like everyone kind of feels the vibe, and I think part of Ben's frustration is, like, there really isn't all that much to do. Yeah, no, that that is the frustration. Is There's not really an identifiable solution right now. You ready for Grinder Chill Guy of the Week? Absolutely, baby. Let's do it. All right, my Grinder of the Week, probably not a big surprise to any of you, but it is Mr. John Duplantier because he has battled through injuries, through stints down in Reno, through spring training, whether he's going to make it to the final roster or not. And he's fought through all of this with the organization, has stayed true to himself. He pitched great in spring training. He got injured again towards the end of spring training, didn't make the uh, initial opening day roster. Didn't, didn't fret about it, didn't hang his head low. He kept his head high. He's been pitching down a little bit in Reno, been pitching pretty well. We are obviously riddled with injuries right now and need all the bullpen help we can get. And so he got called up to the big leagues the other day with Taylor Widener going back down. He's going to be pitching long relief out of the bullpen, which as a prior starter is, I think, a perfect 
uh, transition to the to the big leagues for him, and I'm excited to see what he does next. But from what I've seen from him in spring training and a couple of the Aces games, his control is there. His fastball's up back to where it was, 94, 95, and he's painting the corners pretty well. So excited to see what he does with this opportunity. Grinder of the week. I love that. That's an excellent pick. Kind of honestly saw that coming, I'm not going to lie, but it doesn't make me like it any less. Uh, Two guy of the week for the boys. I mean, there really was only one pick to go with, to be honest. And that is the absolutely most chill guy on the PGA Tour that there is. And by chill, I mean like kind of chill, but also a degenerate gambler. And so a guy I'd really like to hang out and get a beer with. And that man is the oldest man to ever win a major in golf. Phil Mickelson, baby, with an absolute, absolute great tournament all around. I mean, first of all, not only did he defeat Brooks Kepka, bitch boy. Secondly, he didn't even qualify for the tournament. He got invited. What a legend. Talk about chill as fuck. I mean, what's chiller than, like, literally not even having to try out? Just on the team, dog. And then on top of that, from the way – he single-handedly ended COVID. COVID is over. COVID is no longer a thing. Did you see that crowd? Dude, that was Phil Nicholson? If someone doesn't get COVID from that, COVID is gone. COVID does not exist. And I'm pretty sure they're not. So COVID's not real That's anymore. That's what I'm trying to say. Phil Mickelson single-handedly ev- ending the COVID-19 pandemic, my chill guy of the week. And on top of that, he wins as the oldest man to ever win a major. Stunt. Also makes you think, how many more would he have if Tiger wasn't in his generation? Probably a lot. Honestly, he could be one of like the most underappreciated golfers of all time because of that. Dude, I love that pick for Chill Guy. That that is the perfect Chill Guy pick. I love it. Say, especially with the uh, the shades that he rocks now on the tour and the Dude. side bet gambling like that. What a what a perfect cues Chill Guy. Dude, those shades fuck, bro. A hundred percent. Those shades are lit. Plus, I, I just real quick. I mean. He was number two to Tiger every every week that Tiger Woods was number one, whatever that record streak was. Phil Mickelson was number two that entire time. So talk about being chill as fuck. I mean, I probably like. I mean, yo, how do you deal with that, dude? Knowing that you would be the number one guy and probably have that record if it wasn't for Tiger Woods, like holy and, moly. And to still be his friend and support him, like that's that's super chill. A hundred percent, dude. That's a fucking bro move, man. I love it. All right, should we? Uh, it's been a lengthy episode. We had so much to talk about with the Suns. Should we uh, finish with a quick around the world rundown? A hundred percent, dude. I can't think of anything better than I would want to do right now. Where do you think we should start? You think? Uh, you think we should get a little uh, football, soccer action up in here for the boys? Uh, dude, I, I really like that. Which is Champions League final Saturday, Man City versus Chelsea in all England Champions League final. Who do you got? What do you think of that? Ooh, you know, it's tough. It's uh, it's 
really shows the uh, depth of the Premier League that the Champions Finals between two of their their top teams there. Uh, it was it was really looking sketchy if Chelsea was even going to qualify. They really come on strong in the back half of the season, so they've you know kind of been they they were the top top team for a few years, a couple of years ago back when we were in college. I remember they were winning this the top of the table pretty much every season, and then since then it's been all Man City who came on. Uh, and kind of has eclipsed Man United in terms of the best Manchester team of recent memory. So it's it's going to be an exciting matchup between these Premier League teams. They know each other well. This is not the first time they're going to be meeting. They're not a seasonal-type team. But I got to go, and I'm sure this is going to make my boy Colin happy, but I think Man City is just too good of a team, and I think they're going to take the Champions League final. That's an excellent pick. That's an excellent breakdown of exactly the situation that's going on. Pep Guardiola, probably the best manager, maybe in football history, but definitely top five, definitely on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, goes to Man City. Wow. Needless to say, Man City becomes the most dominant Premier League team since he's been there. Um, also, Chelsea, Pulisic, you know, American guy, but also Man City. They got an American goalie, Stefan, stud. So I will say I thought it was going to be more of a toss-up, but Chelsea really struggled against Aston Villa in their last game. I think Man City runs away with it, not only because they're the better team, but also to send out basically like the team captain, the team culture guy, basically the Shane Doan type guy of Man City, Sergio Aguero, on top, who said he wouldn't leave until he brought Man City to the Champions League. So I see Man City running away with this situation. Absolutely, dude. And actually, shout out to Pep. He was uh, the namesake of one of our rec league soccer teams with uh, me, Colin, and Benny a couple of years ago when we won the uh, we won the old ship. So shout out to Pep. That. Oh, I love that. Real quick, though, before we go to yours, I got to ask, Joe West, great – the all-time umpiring record game thoughts. It's, I mean, I don't know what there is to say. I guess props to somebody for being able to work so diligently for so long, but at the same time, Joe West is a complete fuck-up of an umpire. He's up there with Angel Hernandez in terms of worst umpires of all time. So, you know, I guess you gotta if you're the MLB, you gotta give him his comeuppance for the uh, amount of games he's he's umpired. But at the same time, I think when you have me agreeing with something Bomani Jones said, you can clearly tell that you've really <laughs> fucked up because he said this is not something that the MLB should really be proud of. And I agree. <laughs> no, I I agree 100. Uh, percent In fact, I saw a highlight today of Raul Mondesi. Uh, his son is now the shortstop for the Kansas City Royals. That's how long, old this is. Uh, of him calling a strike on Raul Mondesi because he was taking too long to get into the box. And so he told the pitcher to play ball. The pitcher threw a ball, which wasn't even a strike. And he called <laughs> it a strike just to prove a point to Raul Mondesi that he is the boss of the um, of the field. Talk about a guy that should never be umping Major League Baseball games. Joe West and Angel Hernandez can go suck it. They literally are everything I dislike about baseball. Dude, they're the worst. So another quick thing to touch on. So we got uh, we got the first round of the hockey playoffs progressing. The Avs got through immediately with their sweep. 
the other game, the other series that's already over is the Oilers versus the Jets series up in the Canada division. We already kind of touched on the Avs and how dominant they are. They're obviously a Stanley Cup favorite. The Oilers going into it were the favorite team, and they got, you know, McJesus up there, Connor McDavid. And McDavid's not happy. They blew several leads, lost in overtime in three straight games, got swept by an inferior Jets team. McDavid wants out. What do we think about that, and where do we think McDavid might want to go or where he might land? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question. Uh, McDavid, MVP this year. Legit, he's the MVP this year, right? Leon Dreisaitl, also on his line, was the MVP last year. You literally have two MVPs on your team. Guess who else they have? They also have Mike Smith in that. That's tough. But he's pretty good, honestly. He's like above average goalie for the league. Definitely not no, not Darcy Kemper currently, but he's up, up there. Who else do they have? Their first defensive line pairing, first in points, second in goals. Those are the two guys that they got there. Stud. Talk about a first line that you're like, oh, that's sexy. Who else they got? Nobody. Literally nobody. And so if I'm Connor McDavid, I'm I'm out, dude. I six years I've given everything you got to this organization. And if you look at how how Gretzky was in the Oilers, by the time that he was in the same spot, they had five Hall of Famers on the team. <laughs> McDavid has nobody on his team. They're not going to do shit. They just got swept by the Jets, who are a Coyotes-like team. But, like, they got swept. And the Jets outplayed them the entire series. And they do have good guys. And the team's really deep. Um, So that's props to them. But, uh, dude, if I'm Connor McDavid, man, get me the fuck out of here. I mean, people don't even know who Connor McDavid is. They don't even know what he looks like. Again, the NHL sucks at marketing. I don't know why. Although I will say Wayne Gretzky is now part of the TNT analyst. Uh, they're starting a new show either this fall or whenever get, they get the coverage. I think that's absolutely legendary. Uh, but if I'm Carter McDavid, dude, take me to the Rangers. Take me to the Kings. Take me to a big market. Don't go to the Kings, McDavid, because I'll fucking hate you. But go to a big team and become one of the best players like you should be. But also, real quick, I want to get your opinion on this, you know, being the bruiser that you are. The Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau beef that is currently happening. One, do you love it? Two, how much do you love it? <laughs> uh, I love it a lot. I am very anti-Bryson DeChambeau. I've hated him for quite a while now. I respected his stupid little protein gain thing because it was – resulting in larger swings, but he's honestly just become so annoying about it at this point. And it honestly hasn't really even translated to him getting many wins on the tour at all. Um, and he just seems like such an annoying. And I know Brooks Kepka is more vocal about his hatred of Bryson, but I feel like a lot of the players on tour don't really like Bryson. But the fact that Kepka isn't, you know, hiding behind the, oh, he's a great player, great competitor. He just openly hates this guy. And that Golf Now interview that got leaked, it wasn't the real version because he cursed and you obviously can't show that on live TV, is hilarious where Bryson walks by and says something about the lining up the putts. And Kepka just looks so fucking distraught. And it's become a meme now, sweeping over the internet. Everyone's about it. I think this is so good for golf. And I'm, I'm all here for it to watch these two just beef it out. 
So, what, but I also think Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau are like literally the two least likable golf pros that exist. So, also there. And if they if they were to duke it out in the parking lot, I would pay to see that. Dude, if they want to go as a prelim for the Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather fight, I'd watch that. A hundred percent, dude. A hundred percent. But they won't because they're golfers. And so they're soft. But I do think, could this be the next great, great rivalry in sports or in golf? Yes. And do I think that'd be good for golf? Absolutely. Yeah, especially if they get paired together for a tournament or event. Like, that's must-watch TV. Epic. Epic. But, yeah, man, I think we should probably cut it off here. I mean, there's just so much more to get into. I mean, you got Luka Doncic, Trey Young. I mean, yeah. you got Tyler Tarasi out four to six weeks. I mean, you got the whole Julio Jones scandal on Undisputed, Shannon Sharp, just, like, putting him live on air. Did he even know? It doesn't sound like it. Um <laughs> And then you got Euro 2020 preview. We'll have to get the soccer guys back on. On top of that, NHL playoffs are popping off. I mean, you got Nashville and North Carolina having the, probably the best first-round series that exists. Plus, more Aaron Rodgers drama. Damn, bro. So much to get through. But we stick to the one matter. Suns, D-backs, Arizona sports. Absolutely. You know, if you talked about everything that happened in sports, you'd be talking forever. So... I think we hit the topics we need to hit, and we've got plenty of content for the boys. It's going to be a long one. Man, I just hope they appreciate it, man. I mean, we're out here sweating, blood and tears out here for the boys. And so, uh, what, hey, boys, we, we appreciate all the questions 100%. We will answer. We I think at this time we're going to do mail time first for the rest of the pod. So if you got questions, we got answers. But, uh, yeah, bro. Another dry heat coming from D.C. and Phoenix, bro. AZ Sports. As always, brought to you by our unofficial official sponsor, Canadian Mist. And uh, the three C's, I guess, would be the big sponsor of this week's podcast, followed by a uh, specific sponsor, Natural American Spirit, Blue Pack. and uh, Mostly tobacco, so I guess it's better for you. That's what they say. Two uh, hours, bro. I feel like, you know, I feel like I don't want you to get tired of me, man. I never do, man. But, yeah. <laughs> All right, hubby. I'll catch you later. All right. Peace, bro. Peace.